All right, a couple of other things. Let me get to Cologne. I do not dislike Bartolo Cologne. Like Bartolo Cologne. I remember when the Mets signed him as a free agent. I debated with friends on which starter they should sign. I was more on the Phil Hughes side. Some were on the Bartolo Cologne side. And going into the 2014 season, the Mets decided to sign Bartolo Cologne, who was a Met for three years. And I'll always give him credit for this. Bartolo Cologne for three years as a New York Met at the ages of 41, 42, and 43, took the baseball every five days and pitched. I admire him for that. And his best season was 2016. Think about that. And, and hear out the innings of Cologne's three years here at 41, 42, 43. 202, 194, 191. Impressive. Bartolo Cologne was a very solid Met. He lived up to his contract. He was far better than I ever expected him to be. He was also lovable, no doubt. You know, big fat guy swinging, helmet falling off, looking awful at the play, but working his tuckus off to get better offensively, and then somehow actually becomes, I don't ever want to say a good hitter, but respectable enough where he had that moment in San Diego where he hit a home run. Like, that's amazing. Because the first year he was here, he was two for 62 at the plate. Think about that. Two for 62. That That's almost impossible. And then the following year, he goes eight for 58. All of a sudden, he's like, not that that's good, but it's certainly a lot better than what he started with. So I have no ill feel, will towards Bartolo Colon. He had a couple of embarrassing things in his career. Number one, he was a steroid guy. I don't know how much people care about that anymore. Number two, he lived a double life. Remember that story? That he had, he had like a second family that his first family never knew about. With all that said, I don't get the love affair. I don't get how this guy retires a Met despite, you know, pitching how many years in Cleveland and doing it in the postseason, even having some success with Anaheim. I know those fan bases may not necessarily love him, but when you look at his career, he's not a Hall of Famer, but if he was, if they created a Hall of halfway decent, a Hall of, hey, that guy won a Cy Young once, nobody would consider him a Met. Good Met, by the way. Again, very good Met. I feel like I have to say that. But the love affair still surprises me. Even all these years later, even... Now, how many years has it been since this final year, 2016? So what is that, seven years now? T-shirt for him. Don't have the final pitch. <laughs> He's retiring a Met. I'm not mad about this by any stretch. I'm laughing at it. I don't get it. So I'm not, you know, bitching about it. or com- It doesn't bother me. I'm just, I'm kind of, I, I smile at it. Like, oh, okay. Guys love Bartolo Cologne. Does everybody love Bartolo Cologne? And I appreciate him. If you ask me, hey, Bartolo Cologne, what do you think about? I, I think a little bit about the home run, obviously, but I think about, hey, that guy was a good Met. That guy signed a three-year deal, and he lived up to every dime. He took the baseball every five days. You cannot say that about a lot of guys in the history of this franchise. You can't say this about a lot of pitchers that we love in the history of our franchise, that they took the baseball and pitched every five days. But the infatuation with him 
fascinating. Is there anybody else we're just so crazily fascinated by? But he, hey, threw out the first pitch. Brandon Nimmo caught it. I think that's the one guy left who he was a teammate with. Got a nice ovation. If you went to the game on Sunday, you got that cool (laughs) T-shirt. And I'm not laughing at anybody. Like, I get it if you like them. It just still surprises me. And I've always thought that. Like, the the fatuation with Bartolo Colon has always been, you know, sort of interesting. Uh, Let me get to a couple of emails, including one that brings up a very interesting question about a Met decision that they've made over the last few years. But let me start with this from Ed. Love the show. I have two questions. The first one is, do you think Kodai Singh will be different than Tanaka? What I mean is, if I recall correctly, Tanaka was awesome year one and kind of fell off the year after. He wasn't bad, but never as dominant in the regular season. Senga looks like an ace in year one. Side note to his stats against the Diamondbacks this year in two starts. Four innings pitch, one earned run, three walks, 22 Ks, an ERA of .64. He's their daddy, yes. Do you think we get a similar drop-off from Senga, or do you think the Mets can avoid that, or do you think Senga's better? I think that, and we, and I did this too, by the way, we always try to compare Japanese pitchers with other Japanese pitchers. And your point about Tanaka is well taken in that when he first came over his rookie season, he was incredibly dominant. But there was something that happened besides the league getting used to him. Remember, he then pitched the next couple of years with a partially torn UCL. Was that a part of what made Tanaka not as good as he was in his first year? And I don't think if Senga, I got to pull up Tanaka's numbers to look, but off the top of my head, I would tell you, if you told me that Senga's going to give me Tanaka's numbers from year two to year six or however many years he pitched in the major leagues, I think I'd be all right with it. I know he wasn't as good as his first year, but he was still a really good, dependable starting pitcher. I hear his numbers. Year one, he made 20 starts because, again, he got hurt. 13-5, 13-5, and 277 ERA in 20 starts. Struck out nine and a half, only walked 1.4. So his walks were way down compared to Senga. Year number two, 24 starts again. Did start that wild card game against the Astros, pitched well. 3-5 ERA. Year three, 199 innings, most innings he ever threw in the majors. 3-0-7 ERA. Here's where it gets a little murky. Year four, 30 starts, 474 ERA. Uh, year five, 27 starts, 375. And then his last full year in the major leagues, 2019, 2020, you kind of throw out 2019, 445 ERA, 32 starts. He was dependable. He was solid. I would say more it was year four where the drop off really began. Because I'd be good with year two and three. Like if, you, if Kodai Senga, from an ERA standpoint, gave me. 3-5 ERA, 3-0-7 ERA, and he goes out and makes 60 starts in the next two years, I, I, I'd i be good with it. I'm sure there are some Met fans thinking, I want more. I want him to win a Cy Young. Sure, I'd, I'd love for him to win a Cy Young, and he's had a great rookie season, but I think year two and three of Tanaka were really good. Where I wouldn't be happy is year four, five, six. That's when the, 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 the drop-off really came. But I'll give you another guy to look at who's had a very long career at the major league level right now, and that's you, Darvish. <coughs> now, you came over a couple years earlier in terms of age, but you, Darvish's first year in America, he made 29 starts to 190 innings. So he went out and pitched. 
had a 3.9 ERA. Following year, 2.80 ERA. 209 innings. So it wasn't something like, oh, the league got up, got got used to you. He ended up having Tommy John year four. Took a few years really to recover. And then 2020 had the dominant year. Average year 21, really good year 22. He's had a very average year in 2023. Hey, you know what? That's normal for pitching. Look around baseball this year. Look at the guys who have had great years. Look at the guys who had great years and what they're doing this year. Sandy Alcantara certainly being a great example. I would sign for really the most important thing, kind of piggies back what we were saying with uh, Bartolo, make the starts. You go out and you make 30 starts, you pitch to a 3-3 ERA, I'd be really thrilled. <coughs> All right, here's the good question from Jimmy that we need to think about. Jimmy had some comments about the Reds. I'm going to leave that part out. Then he writes, Seth Lugo was a homegrown Met pitching prospect. He spent seven years with the team, consistently voicing his desire to start, which fell on deaf ears. The Mets let him go this offseason, and while he hasn't been an ace, He's made 24 starts. He has a 380 ERA in 130 innings. He would be second only to Senga in every pitching category on the Mets. I wasn't a Seth Lugo fan. I didn't weep when he left, but I did look up his contract with the Padres. Two years, 15 million. Perhaps Epler's biggest failure affecting the 23 Mets wasn't spending 7.5 a year on a homegrown Met who proved he could pitch in New York and had a desire to prove himself as a starter. Thanks for hanging in with us. All right. I think the Lugo question is fascinating. And Hoff brought this up earlier this season. You know, hey, did we make a mistake letting Seth Lugo go? Let's not have alternate history here. So Seth Lugo comes up in 2016 when the Mets are devoid of pitching because everybody got hurt. Remember, Matt Harvey's hurt. Jacob DeGrom is hurt. Zach Wheeler is hurt. The only healthy guy was Noah Syndergaard and Bartolo Colon. So Lugo's in the rotation. Robert Gazelman's in the rotation. It's a very small sample size, but at eight starts, Seth Lugo does a tremendous job. Okay? We're all good with him getting another opportunity the following year. Following year, Lugo makes 18 starts. Not good. ERA of 4-7. Mets make a decision in 2018, hey, you know what we should do? We should make him a relief pitcher. Again, Lugo goes into the bullpen and shows signs of dominance. Remember, the Mets had an issue in usage with him. Like, he would pitch great two innings at a time, and then he wouldn't be available for a couple of days. And that was the biggest negative about him, but he showed a lot of dominance as a reliever. Same thing in 2019. where. I was convinced as a fan, hey, this guy's a reliever. That's where he's at. 2020, they did a little bit of both. He wasn't very good. 2021, and I agreed with the Mets, despite Lugo wanting to be a starter, the Mets say, hey, this guy looked like a dominant reliever at times in 19 and 18. Forget 2020. That year don't make any sense. He's a reliever. The problem was in 21 and 22 is Seth Lugo was a very average reliever. To me, he had two Met careers as a reliever, 17 and eight, I'm sorry, 18 and 19, where he looked at times dominant, 
and 21 and 22, where he was your typical average relief pitcher. Typical. Like, he's just, nobody trusted him. <laughs> he would give up big hits in a big spot. He was not a lockdown guy. He was an average reliever. At that point, with the Mets now for seven years, did any of us have an urge to make him a starting pitcher? When Seth Lugo gets to free agency and clearly wants to be a starter, and there are teams willing to say, hey, you're going to be in the rotation. Did any of us want him to be in the rotation? The Mets, and it wasn't one guy, because think about all the different people that ran the Mets over the last five years, whether it's Brody Van Wagenen, whether it's Sandy Alderson, whether it's Jared Porter and Zach Scott, whether it's Billy Epler. They almost viewed him as a reliever to a T. And in the limited time he started, there were times he looked okay, but never enough to be convinced that guy's a starter. Seth Lugo has gone to San Diego and has been a very solid back of the rotation arm. If that's all he is, it's tough to regret it. Because what were the Mets going to sign him for? You know, think about what the rotation was supposed to be. Justin Verlander's here, Max Scherzer's here, Kodai Sangas here, Carlos Carrasco's here. They signed Jose Quintana. Like, what What were they going to do? Were they going to sign Lugo and say, you're a depth guy? He was never going to go for that. He wanted to be in the rotation. No regrets. But it's a great question. To me, no regrets. Because when I live the moment, when we all live the moment, and we all come to pretty much the same conclusion, it's tough to get mad when it doesn't work out. It's like when the Mets traded Angel Pagan. We're all done with him. Okay, the guy now starts to play well. We're all done with him. Travis Darnot is the same thing. We Were we all not done with Travis Darnot? You're done with that guy. With that said, could the Mets use a, another arm in the rotation? Could they have used another arm in the rotation all season long? No doubt about it. And one last thing I want to get, because I saw this tweeted out by Codify. I think it is Codify. Codify MLB. They took a shot at our guy, Pete Alonso. Codified baseball. Because they showed a clip from the other day where Pete couldn't catch that pop-up, that foul pop-up that was right near home plate or behind home plate. (laughs) So in the clip, Pete misses it. Omar Narvaez puts his arm out to kind of help him up awkwardly. Pete clearly doesn't see him but swats his arm away as he gets up on his own. So obviously that's tweeted out. It's like, oh, Pete didn't want any help. A couple of things about Pete. It is possible Pete saw it, and Pete was like, do not help me up. I don't think that's anti-Narvaez. I don't think that's anti-teammate. I don't think that proves he's a bad guy. I think it proves something we all know about Pete watching him every day. He's crazy intense. Crazy intense. And that has not always been a bad thing for baseball players. Paul O'Neill's been crazy intense. Yankee fans fantasize about him coming back. You know what I mean? We've seen Pete break bats off his knee because he's upset. I think he's a very emotional baseball player. I think that can be a bad thing if it turns into one in terms of pressing and not performing. I haven't seen that from him. So is it possible Pete saw him in the back of his eye and was like, F this, I'm getting up on my own? I guess. More likely than not, he didn't see him. And so it just is placed out on social media. And if you want to have an agenda or you have an agenda, it's easy to go with. We got to get Pete signed because I'm getting sick of this. 
<laughs> Not that I'm trying to help him make millions of dollars. I think he did that on his own. But as a Met fan, I want this done. Because I do think that while in the moment, some Met fans may say, no, it's smart. They got prospects. Eh, doesn't hit for high enough average. What have we won with him? You know, all those stupid cliches. Letting him go, to me, is Daryl. Letting him go is Seaver. And maybe I felt that way emotionally about Jake, but it was different with Jake. And that pissed me off. There were legitimate concerns with Jake, health-wise, age-wise, years-wise. Those don't exist with Pete Alonso. Track record of health and a track record of mashing home runs every single year. But more on that, obviously, as the season rolls on. Mets have a series coming up with the Miami Marlins this week. They got four games over the weekend against the Philadelphia Phillies. So they continue this trend of playing teams who have relevant games while we, on the other hand, finish out the string. Ain't it fun? You can email the pod, thericob at gmail.com. Thericob at gmail.com. We do appreciate you hanging in there during this awful, awful baseball season. Thank you for listening and downloading another edition of Rico Bronian. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>